tuned into the Recovery Innovators Radio Show, your access to today's best addiction recovery ideas, tools, and experts. Listen in and you will learn what is and what isn't working today. We want you, your loved ones, and anyone you know who needs a helping hand to find success in recovery and live the life they deserve. And now, here's your host, James Healy. Hey there, this is James Healy, and welcome to the Recovery Innovators Radio Show, episode number two. Recovery Innovators Radio is where I get to check in with innovative experts and individuals in the recovery industry so we can hear directly from them what is working today for addicts in recovery, for their families, their friends, and maybe we can even provide some continuing education tips for other experts too. All right, on today's episode, it's my pleasure to talk with Patricia Jackson about how you can lead substance abusers to water, but you certainly can't make them drink if they don't want to. We also talk about EMDR and hypnotherapy and some other alternative techniques to help solve craving challenges and other addiction issues. And we talk about marijuana and how legalizing the weed has created some challenges in Colorado. We also uh, get into how waking up in recovery and realizing your best friends have vanished can be uh, pretty challenging. And we also touch base on the upcoming presidential election and how the the uh, choices that is presenting some people is causing uh, a lot of pain out there. All right, Patricia uh, has been working in the addiction field for 34 years and has seen a lot of change along the way. She's based in Colorado, where that legalization of weed has presented some unique challenges for sure. And Patricia is well-versed in nearly every addiction area you can throw at her and works with individuals, families, and really anyone touched by addiction. So with no further ado, let's get to that interview. and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. Hi, James. How are you? I'm, I'm doing really well. All right. Um, I just wanted to, uh, first of all, let's check in with you, maybe hear, you know, maybe your backstory. I know you've been helping people for a long time, uh, and maybe you can give us a little back history on how you got started. Uh, on your path of helping folks and especially, you know, focusing on addiction recovery. You bet. Um, so my name is Patricia Jackson, and I have been working in the substance abuse recovery uh, field full-time since 1981. Um, and uh, I came into the profession, my first job was a heavy-duty job. I worked at a maximum um, federal security for male offenders, and I started working the substance abuse program in the prison. So uh, I learned a lot there, and then I began working in a methadone program um, in upstate New York. And then when I came to Colorado, where I'd been practicing for almost 30 years, um, 
they grandfathered me in because they were desperately needing experienced substance abuse counselors. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been a CAC3, which is the highest certification in um, addiction treatment since uh, 1985. And wow. Just for clarification, that covers all of the, you know, chemical dependencies, but it also covers other behavioral addictions like sexual addiction, eating disorders, um, other compulsivities that um, destroy people's lives. Sure. Uh, are you seeing more, um, like, cell phone addiction, screens, and electronic sort of things happening now? Well... I think um, I think that that's affecting everybody, but the people right. who get into treatment for it that I'm seeing are um, mostly adolescents. So while you know, 45 year old may need treatment, it's probably right. kind of hard to get him into, into treatment. Right. Whereas <laughs> it, it, parents um, are are bringing their kids into treatment um, because they can't get them to disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Was there an aha moment that brought you to this this field? You're back before he started at that prison. Probably not before, but once I got into it, um, th- there's there's two main tracks I have followed professionally in my life. One is the substance abuse recovery. The other is working with end of life issues. So I was a family therapist for a cancer support organization for a number of years. Um, And the reason I bring that up is because I found through both of those arenas that people were getting pressed so hard in their lives and experiencing so much suffering that there was an opportunity for tremendous change. So I really got hooked on um, seeing people have transformative experiences um, Mm -hmm. after they were down on their knees, which I think therapists that are not working with such critical issues, they probably don't get to see that level of motivation that causes that huge change um, so quickly. And, And I have always enjoyed, you know, helping people make those transformations as quickly as possible. Sure, that's, yeah, super rewarding. So would you uh, specifically have a, a, a client that you'd like to help, or you seem to be, um, through your extensive experience, able to help a, a number of different folks? My clients tell me that I can help a wide variety of people from different kinds of addictions to non-addiction issues like, uh, you know, family discord and depression and um, other issues like that. Across the board, what I look for in a client is motivation. So whatever mm-hmm. that comes from, um, I'll work with someone a few times and try to ignite motivation in them. But generally, my practice is filled with people who they're ready. They're ready for change. I'm fond of, I don't know if you are familiar with Father Martin. He was a pioneer in the addiction field in the 70s. He was a, a priest who uh, had been a drunk and you know, he published a number of books and spoke widely. Yeah. And yeah. he was fond uh-huh. of saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water and not make them drink, but with substance abusers, you can lead them to water and make them real thirsty. Right. So, um, you know, I'll work with anybody, even if their motivation is very modest 
mm-hmm. and bring them to that water. But if they don't want to start drinking that water of transformation pretty shortly, I'm probably not <laughs> the right practitioner for them. Right. Well, it definitely. I found personally <laughs> through a number of t- uh, times trying to get myself sober, I uh, needed to really find that motivation and not not have someone else tell me that I needed help or something like that, but to really feel it deep down in myself. So, And I can't tell you how many times, because I've been practicing in the same region for many, many years, I've had so many clients come back to me 5, 10, 15 years later and say, I wasn't ready, but I always thought of what you said. I'll, I always remembered you as a straight shooter, and they 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 found me, you know, when they were ready, they came back and found me. Right. Uh, that's, that's great to know that they are still thinking of you that, that far along on their path and uh, that they sought you out when they were ready for that help. Exactly. And do you specialize with any sort of type of of treatment? I know you do a, a variety of different things. We were talking about, some of the alternative sorts of things that you do are kind of interesting hypnosis and 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 uh journaling dream interpretation that sort of thing yeah first of all i think one of the things that i do um that's unusual is i do a really thorough assessment with people so i'm rather holistic in terms of i want to get the overview of what's going on in in every area of someone's life And I'll have clients say to me, you know, I've been in therapy for 10 years and no one's ever asked me about that. And then all the stuff starts to spill out about that life area. So that's one thing that I do very differently. I want to know what's going on across the board. And then after the evaluation, um, I really customize what I do with each client. I am a hypnotherapist. I do do EMDR, which is a technique that's very, very helpful in uh, reducing the stress symptoms of um, traumatic events. It's also really great at retrieving unconscious memories. Um, they're both mm-hmm. very gentle techniques. And that's an eye movement uh, It It technique. stands for yeah. eye movement. And when it first was invented, um, it was activated by... Um, a light circuit that would the lights would move. The whole point of it is to get um, energy and impulses to move between the two hemispheres of the brain rapidly back and forth. So it can mm-hmm. be done in, with other stimulation. I use sound. I have clients wear a headset. Um, it also okay. can be used with tapping. Um, but oh, I get yeah. the best results with, with uh, using sound. Um, mm-hmm. And again, very... He- very effective, very gentle technique. Uh, a lot of times people, for instance, when I do hypnotherapy, they'll open their eyes and say, well, when are you going to start the hypnosis? And I'll say, well, you've been under hypnosis for 30 minutes. It's so <laughs> gentle that people just feel like they're in a normal conscious state when they remember things or when they solve problems inside. So wow. it, it's very non-threatening and and people right. are very conscious during the whole process, both EMDR and hypnotherapy. Wow, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Awesome. 
Um, so have you uh, seen, um, you've been working with, in so many different areas and different folks over the years, have you seen any trends, uh, big changes over, over time, and, and what do you see happening now? Well, we're seeing um, a big change in Colorado. Uh, one is the obvious reason that the whole world knows about, and that is the legalization of marijuana. But also, mm -hmm. Colorado is um, a, a very, very prominent brewery state. So we're seeing the uh, the rates of alcoholism go up, DUI arrests go up. Uh, under the influence, DUID, which is um, other substances, marijuana. I'm getting a lot more calls from people themselves who are saying, you know, I've always smoked pot, but it was very casual, and now it's really gotten so I have to do it. Um, mm. It's interfering with people's jobs. And then this is probably something that the the uh, tourism uh, Department of State of Colorado probably doesn't want out there, but we have the second highest rate of opiate addiction in the nation. Oh, wow. So uh, prescription opiates, um, we have a very high death rate here from prescription overdoses. So there's a lot of substance abuse going on everywhere, but I'm definitely yeah. seeing it rise here in Colorado. Yeah, sure. And I, I know, like you touched on the tourism thing, I have a lot of people who come to Colorado then like to experiment with the, you know, the availability of marijuana and that sort of thing. And do, do you see that impacting the whole system a little more too? I mean, those people probably end up with DUIs and, and that sort of thing. Well, I think, um, you know, the people who cross my path and come into my practice fall into some different categories. And um, by the way, I was very uh, in favor of the passage um, legalizing marijuana because of the de decriminalization. I always had a problem. Mm -hmm. I had worked through the years with many people who had done extremely hard time for marijuana offenses that Mm -hmm. completely destroyed them psychologically. They were thrown into prison with murderers and horrible stories. So I always was in favor of decriminalizing it. Sure. Um, of course, I'm not a big fan of uh, the increased, you know, recreational use. But sure. we're definitely having, you know, a population here that is moving here, looking for jobs here, specifically because marijuana is legal here. Yeah. Yeah, I uh recently moved uh to I live in Montana now which I had lived here for many years but I lived in Colorado for quite a while too and I had seen and actually worked with some people that had moved there specifically because of the legalization of marijuana that's why they moved to Colorado <laughs> and I think it's the number one uh destination for college graduates now too we have a huge population explosion going on, and for anyone who's living here can attest to the fact that the, the highways are a nightmare. I mean, our population has just exploded. Yeah. And that, How much actually... of that statistically is due to the marijuana, I have no idea, but I would guess a, a substantial proportion. And not just <laughs> individual users, but for the commercial aspect, a lot of growers have moved here mm -hmm. um, from other states in other countries. 
Yeah, it's a huge industry. Huge industry. Yep. A lot of a lot of money to be made there. Um. All right, and so other than the the increase in in marijuana, and you're seeing um, increases in um, prescription drug uh, abuse. And I believe alcoholism oh. as well. It, it, and alcoholism a, too. Yeah. Colorado is a very, um, well, our whole nation is, the whole world is, but Colorado is very, very proud of its its brewery um, industry. Um, I mm-hmm. believe we have the second most breweries of any state in the nation. I might be wrong about that. We might be third. Um, but it's it's a big part of the commerce here. It's a big part of the culture. Um, Denver is a very restaurant friendly, um, very high cuisine at very low cost. People from mo- moving from other parts of the country are astonished at the beautiful uh, restaurants everywhere with rooftop dining. And yeah. it's just a really fun vibe here. And it, it's a very strong drinking culture. So I'm yeah. definitely seeing, I'm, I'm seeing clients, um, sometimes the first call is because you got a DUI and I'm right. clients who just have, you know, been social drinkers all their lives and it's just moving into something else for them. You know, they realize that it, this is not social drinking anymore. Right. Yeah. It, it happens uh, kind of very slyly to most people. I know it did to, to me, <laughs> you, you go from uh, drinking for fun to, uh, drinking with a few problems to pretty much just problems. Yep. Over time. <laughs> Dr- like, drinking for fun, to, fun to transitioning <laughs> to drinking to live. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Do you, where Where do you see people? You know, spending time uh, just kind of wasting their time before they finally get to the point where they need some. They decide they need help. You know, once people you know, get that first six months of recovery, you know, where the the blinders come off, that's when they start saying, oh my gosh, (laughs) I was doing this for this many years. Seriously, I spent this amount of money on this and I was married to the wrong person all these years. And, um, oh goodness, you know, I did this to my children and I've never (laughs) fixed it with them. And people start realizing that a lot of what they did was wasteful but I don't think you feel that until you've got some substantial recovery time under your belt. Right. Yeah. When you first are in the getting sober stages, there's a lot more that you're dealing with, I think. I mean, the first thing that happens um, in tra- uh, along the lines of the question I think you're asking is right away when people stop drinking, I mean, within the first 30 days, their drinking and drugging partners disappear and they are astonished that these people that they thought they were really close friends with and really intimate with for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, no longer want to have anything to do with them if they're not drinking or using drugs. So I think that's the first one that emerges where people say to themselves, what the heck was I doing? Right, and now they have to make all new friends, and 
find mm-hmm. ways to spend all that money that they're spending. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> pay off all those debts they accrued. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Somehow I don't think pay off their DUI lawyer and. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Not man. funny, but you gotta you gotta keep laughing. You've got to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I digress. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick one-minute break here, and uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about our sponsor for today's show, which is the Addictions Academy. The Addictions Academy is the nation's leading accredited addiction treatment services and sober coaching, intervention training, academy and uh, if you are looking to get into the addiction recovery field maybe as a sober or recovery coach or if you're looking to up your game and boost your skills for your current practice uh, you can get some new training there they have some amazing faculty and staff with decades of experience and they have some great comprehensive coursework that's going to really give you those tools and resources that you need to uh, to really take your your practice to the next level. So give them a call, 800-706-0318, or check them out at theaddictionsacademy.com. Again, that's theaddictionsacademy.com. And now back to our show. So uh, where should people kind of focus their efforts, you know, in the short and maybe the long term, if, if they want to, to get past this drinking and drug abuse problem, once they've decided they have that and they want to get out of it. If you had like a checklist, like do these three things, focus on these three things, and uh, it'll help you move forward. Okay, so the first thing is... Um... Stop using for three days and see what happens. Um, Usually what happens is someone can't, and they're astonished by that Mm -hmm. because, you know, they've been using daily for years, whatever substance, but they always are like, if I didn't want to, I could stop. It's not a big deal. Um, the exception to this, by the way, for, for listeners, I want to be really clear about this. The, one of the most dangerous drugs to go cold turkey on to abruptly stop using is alcohol. So if you're, if you're drinking a a large amount, you should not stop for three days. Um, (laughs) very, very dangerous. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're not physically addicted, um, to alcohol and with most of the substances, that's the first thing. Just see if you can stop and then just notice what happens with you. Um, people are astonished if they can do it, how awful they feel mm-hmm. on every level. Like they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know where to go after work. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Um it, they're they're very lost, and that helps the person get a sense of this substance or this behavior, because it's the same, by the way, with addiction to pornography or any of the other disruptive uh, addictions, behavioral addictions. 
people are astonished at how much of their life is being controlled by that activity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So that's the first thing. Try it's to get a little a... space from it so you can get a little perspective. And then the second thing is to think about the two people in your life who are the most important to you. And if you had the courage to sit down with them, look them in the eye and say, what is your opinion of my fill in the blank? Pot smoking, uh, pornography usage on the internet, uh, the internet period, gambling, (laughs) my, you know, my eating or my not eating anything. Um, if you sat down, what do you think they would say to you? And and just mm-hmm. do that inside your own head, um, because it's very unlikely that by that point that those two loved ones haven't already been saying something. Right. Um, they're certainly not going to say, oh, boy, Dad, I just wish you would gamble more. You know, right. it, it so brings out the best in you, you know. Right. So those are the two things I would suggest to somebody who is thinking that this is enough of a problem that I need to get professional help. Run a self-test sure. and see what see what the results are. And then uh, as far as kind of a long term, maybe the, the results from that self-test come back uh, positive and they say, well, I think I should probably seek out some long term help and it's sort of long term uh, techniques or strategies, do, uh, do you kind of customize your, Absolutely. your uh, help yeah, for I do, people? I'm sure. I do something different with each one of my clients. Um, a lot of my clients come from self-referral, and when people come in, you know, they'll be very familiar with some of the things I did with their friend um, or mm-hmm. their family member, and I'll make it very clear to them, I, I probably won't be doing that with you. So I do something different with each person, depending on the level of crisis in, they're in, what's going on physically with them, how ill they are, um, you know, their psychological maturity, their treatment history. Um, that's why I do that very in-depth um, evaluation at the beginning. Evaluation, sure. So, you know, of course, I'm going to say once you know that you have a problem, uh find a skillful practitioner to help you Um, because I I just talked with a woman today um, and she's been in therapy for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has finally come to the awareness that she has a problem and Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually going to see her right after uh, this interview is over and her therapist has no idea um, she's not working with an addiction therapist. Um, right. and you know, when I'm sitting with somebody, even if they're not telling me their addiction history, I can pick up on it. Sure. So the second piece of advice is get with somebody who is credentialed in addictions mm-hmm. because they really do approach things differently. A, a regular psychotherapist is going to approach it from, you know, how are you feeling about that? Or, is that stressing you out? An addictions counselor is not going to approach it that way. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very different for sure. And um, 
Now, we were talking earlier about how, you know, in today's world with the uh, interwebs and all that, it's easy for someone like yourself to connect with anyone anywhere. So if you're, say you have a client there who's traveling or maybe a friend or a family member of someone that lives near you or is referred to you, but even lives in a completely different state or country, it's you, you do work with those folks? I do. I work with people face-to-face in my office. I also work over Skype. Um, I do email counseling and uh, I work in, you know, any means I can to reach someone. I have clients that live internationally who I've never met that I work with weekly. I have clients who used to live in Denver, see me in my office, and now they live uh, far away and we continue our work by phone. Um, my clients tell me that it's highly effective. They don't see any difference. I can do all of the alternative techniques with someone um, remotely. I can mm-hmm. send them the EMDR uh, protocol that I use. So it's highly effective uh, to work mm-hmm. off-site as well. So, yes, and I even do home visits occasionally um, if there's a, a situation of illness or uh, sometimes parents want me to come in the home and observe uh, the lifestyle of an adolescent, especially if the child is isolated sure. and uh, you know, refusing Not... to go to school, that sort of thing. So, yes, I'm very flexible. Yeah. Whatever works for people, um, I will meet them where they live. That's awesome. All right. Um, did you have anything else to add real quick about uh... – before I ask you a couple personal questions, if you don't mind. No, I think the only thing I'd like to add is that I'm very passionate about this because I have a profound belief that as each person mm-hmm. sheds the chains of their own personal bondage, mm-hmm. that it contributes to the world for all of us. So one by one, person by person, for people to get happier, less guilty, more physically healthy, more capable of joy and giving, it makes a better world for all of us. So um, that that is a big piece of why I'm so passionate about helping everybody set themselves free. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've always felt that too. <laughs> After uh, going through the 12 steps myself, which isn't for everyone, and uh, but I always felt like some sort of 12-step program for everyone would be good. They'd just be nicer to each other. Exactly. You know, just Because they know more about themselves, and I think that helps you be friendlier to others. But anyway. And I agree. Uh, I just want to put one more brief thing, if I can. Yeah, but, sure. Um, I agree with you. 12-step does not work for everyone, um, but it does work marvelously for many people. And the yeah. one thing, uh, and I have people who have achieved long-term sobriety and recovery without 12-step, but the one oh, sure. thing that non-12-step programs does not address is the uh, making of amends. And mm-hmm. um, for instance, I have a couple right now that are both, the man has 19 years sobriety, uh, the woman has close to that, they met through a recovery organization, but they've never done 12-step. And what we're cleaning house about is 
the damage they did during those drugging years as that they never went and addressed with anybody. So that's mm. a big plug I have for 12 steps because you can't yeah. skip that step when you do the 12 steps. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. And, well, I guess and you can, fine. but. <laughs> you could. <laughs> but <to> graduate. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so I just wanted to know a little bit about you. What do you what do you like to do for fun there in, in Colorado? Oh, gosh, there's so much to do here. As <laughs> I know. I, as I mentioned, you know, it's such a, a really great dining environment. And I'm a foodie. I love to go out to eat. I love to cook. Um, we have this beautiful geographical state that we live in. Um, I love to travel. Um, I'm a writer. I also am a, a writer's coach. Um, so I do a lot of time writing and uh, being around other artists and writers. I'm a musician as well. So a lot. <laughs> oh, stay busy. Uh, just a couple of things. The the food thing is interesting. I was living near Denver for quite a while, and I remember one month a couple of years ago in the summer, over 40, like 44 restaurants opened in Denver in one month. Crazy. It's crazy. It's amazing. I was like, wow, you, you'd have to go out to eat twice a day to to even check out the brand new ones, much less yeah. the, the ones that are already there. So Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. And then the writing thing, I really found that writing and journaling really helped me in my recovery that I I started writing letters to my son <laughs> it was as a way of kind of verbalizing what was going on with myself and yeah. kind of explaining things. I don't know if you'll ever read them or whatever, but it was a great way for me to... It's kind of meditative at the same time. I don't think meditation means you're not thinking of anything, but that you're more like just you're focusing focused. your thoughts a little you're bit. You're focused, yes. And, you know, yeah. writing hasn't come up, but um, I've always used journaling and writing um, in my work with people. If they're willing, I don't force it, but I do introduce it. I ask a client to just sit and write for 10 minutes after our session mm -hmm. so that they can capture what mm -hmm. what came up for them. Um, and I've been a lifelong journaler myself. So, yes, writing is very effective. And um, I also have another website that I don't think I mentioned to you before, which is write, W-R-I-T-E, to live.net. Um, okay. And that's geared more toward um, using writing for recovery and also just mm -hmm. for uh, supporting other writers and artists. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes, too. Uh, what's got you anything special? Have you kind of fired up right now? Are you excited about anything that's happening? Well, um, you mean outside of this arena or in this professional arena? Anywhere in this professional arena or anything that's happening, like kind of gets you going. I think everyone, I don't know if this keeps me going. I'm probably not <laughs> fired up and keeping me going might be two different issues. So I'm going to go with All the right. fired up, but I think like All everybody right. um, that I talk to, and I certainly hear my clients talking about it. There's just a general um, disillusionment with the presidential election coming. And oh, yeah. um, I think I'm seeing a level of despair from people around that mm -hmm. issue that I've never seen before, because I think people aren't even polarized. They're just trying to pick the lesser of, of two people that 
they're not wild about to begin with. So I am yeah. probably daily. I'm having a client talk deeply about that issue. People are very, very distressed um, yeah. about the election. So that definitely, I think, has people fired up in kind of a, a sad way. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I heard someone describe it as you see a lot of people in pain over all, over all this. They're just in pain. Yeah, so, I mean, I can't tell you yeah. how many people. I mean, I would say in the last three months, I have heard a hundred people say to me, in one version or another, I don't like either of the leading candidates. So I'm in a quandary about you know which one. I like the least. And that's just a very sad commentary. That's sad, yeah. <laughs> people sad. want to vote. You know, people want to, want to vote. That's part of our American heritage. So right. um, anyway. And they want to be happy about where they're putting their vote. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, what kind of what music did you listen to on your way to work this morning? Do you listen to music or do you have the NPR on or something? I am an NPR person. How did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> because I am too. I, I am an NPR person. Yes, that's where I get my state of the world information. Uh, well, I don't know about in my car, but I um, I just switched the CD in my waiting room today to an Adele CD. So oh, there you that go. counts. Okay. Yeah, that's very nice. That does count. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, how could people best connect with you? You got your one website, righttolive.net, and then your your business um, name is... Um, and the website is substanceabuseservices.net. Substanceabuseservices.net. And the best email to use, and, and I think, James, you told me earlier, they can find it on your site, but I'll say it now. The best email to use that I checked throughout the day is... Um, Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N, counseling, L-L-C, at gmail.com. Okay. All right. Yeah, and we'll have all that in the show notes, so we'll be good to go with that. Um, I think that's that's about it. That wraps it up. If you have anything else to say, but um, it's been great chatting with you. I could talk with you for quite a while about I all this I could talk stuff. to you for hours. We'll have to talk again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we thank can you, you for inviting again. Yes, thank, <laughs> thanks for inviting me to do this, and and also uh, just to let your listeners know that um, I welcome people just contacting me to just run something by me, you know, mm-hmm. family members or people who want to stage an intervention. Um, yeah, I have a lot of experience. If people want to just you know buy thirty minutes of my time and kind of run an issue by me or or run the symptoms they're seeing in a family member by me. I can't diagnose someone I've never met, but I can give them my opinion about what I think is going on. So um, people don't have to enter into therapy to have contact with me. No, that's great. That's a great point. I mean, a lot of times they just need to talk to someone and talk to someone who understands, not just um, another family member, you know, so-and-so is drinking too much again. What are we going to do about that? It, it really helps to to get some some professional advice and feedback. And I, I know that really helped me on my path. It's, it took a long time before I was willing to go ask for that. Um, but uh, it, it's critical. 
So. Yeah, it's like if you talk to the right person, it's like opening a window. I mean, this is true for all of us with all, all of my own experience when I'm yeah. um, you know, suffering my own issues or my family is just to run something by someone who is wise and experienced. It's literally, you know, like opening a window and letting fresh air come in. You just feel like you have a, a new way of approaching things. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think around this subject of recovery from addiction and addiction in general and substance abuse, a lot of people hold back for so long because there's quite a bit of stigma around it that uh, people don't want others to know that maybe they have a problem or maybe a loved one has a problem uh, because they feel like it's a reflection upon themselves or something. So. Well, and you know, I, I probably wouldn't have said this 15 years ago, but I say this now. That concern is valid because people are judgmental. Um, mm-hmm. They're not knowledgeable. Sometimes it's not the smartest thing in the world to to broadcast some of these issues, you know, to coworkers or yeah. relatives. It's better to take it to a confidential place um, because sometimes, um, as much as you shouldn't be ashamed. Uh, people mm-hmm. have judgments, um, and sometimes that's very harmful. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, it can do a lot of a lot of damage. That judgment thing. Oof. All right. Well, thanks again, Patricia, for sharing thanks. with us. It's been wonderful having you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye, James. Bye, bye. Thanks for listening. You can learn more at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com.